Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight from Samothrace and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Sorry. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Now, Lord, we, uh, we, we need you. You're not far away from us, Lord. You've come very close. And uh, you've come to us in the Lord Jesus. And we pray this morning, Lord, as we consider him, that you would speak to every one of us, Lord, wherever we're at, 
Lord, please come and uh, come into our hearts and speak to us, minister to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's surprising, uh, we've been back in Australia just over three and a half months now, and at the two-month mark, I started to feel a little bit homesick. Um, the thing that, um, that did surprise me, the thing that's most surprising, the thing that I miss the most about China, is the chance to be speaking Chinese every day. Um, so, there's no way that this morning you're going to get away with not learning a little bit of Chinese. So, we're all going to learn some Chinese, so you ready for it? This is a... Uh, a word that I'm going to teach you. There's two parts to the word. And uh, it's easiest for me just to say it and then, then I'll teach it to you. So the word is gan dong. Gan dong. Okay, so the first part is gan. Now it's a little bit like a gun, like rifle, that kind of gun. But in the middle of the, the A section, you've got to dip really low and then come back up. So it's gan. One, two, three. Okay, not bad, not bad. Go again. You've got to get a bit, open your mouth a bit more and really dip. So, gan. Oh, hang on, hang on. I should be a better teacher than this. One, two, three. Okay, not bad. Okay. Second part is dong. Now, dong, it's like ding dong, that kind of dong, but it, it really sh- sh- comes down sharply at the end. You really got to open your mouth up. So, dong. One, two, three. Okay, very good. I must be a good teacher. Okay, that's uh, very moving to hear you speak some Chinese. Actually, that's what the word means. It means to be moved in the heart, to be touched uh, deeply. And um, I want to share with you a story, really, to to fill out the meaning of this word. It's a very important word for for Christians in China. Uh, Our neighbour, our neighbours and their son... um, uh, go, our neighbour goes to, the son goes to school with Miles, they're both in kindergarten, and the mother came up to us and said, oh, why don't I, uh, you don't have a car, why don't I take the boys to school in our car, save some time? And we were quite excited about this idea because Miles at that point hadn't really begun to open his mouth in Chinese, he was still a bit shy talking in Chinese to adults. He could with his, his, his friends, that was no problem, um, but talking with adults was difficult, so we were quite excited. So uh, it, it all started, and um, one day at the school had an open day, a couple of months later, four months later, the lady came up to Leanne and said, oh, look, I, I want to talk to you about something. Uh, this year is the year of the horse. It's the year I was born in. So in China, you have a 12-year cycle, and everyone's born in a particular year. And she said, actually, this year, bad things are going to happen to me because it's the year of the horse. It's my year. And she said to Leanne, she'd been feeling quite anxious about it and, and worried. And um, a friend came to her and said, look, maybe if you started to read the Bible, maybe you could get some peace. They, they, that friend had heard that reading the Bible could give you a sense of peace. So the lady said, this is what my friend said. But she said, I wanted to talk to you about something that Miles said to me in the car. Um, it, it was really powerful. Now, we remember this day. Because Miles came racing in the door at 6 o'clock at night. He leaves for school at 7 in the morning, comes home at 6 at night. It's a long day for kindy kids in China. Came into the door at 6 o'clock at night and, uh, and said, Dad, Dad, I spoke with Auntie today in Chinese. And I was very excited and I said, what did you say? And he said, I told her that God is the greatest. <laughs> and Leanne and I were, oof, kind of thought, oh, that, that, I don't even know if she knows 
about God, but that's great. We're really excited. But you know, the, the lady went on to say to Leanne that Miles uh, said to her that God um, is the greatest, that God is the biggest, uh, that God loves us and that he came to the world and, um, and that he died on a cross. And obviously for us as parents, you know, we were very moved and by this, this whole thing. And, um, but then also a little bit embarrassed because we couldn't even share that in Chinese, but our son could, <laughs> which was quite a, a challenge to us. Um, but the, the surprising thing, the, the, the whole point of it was that somehow in the way Miles shared, maybe just because he was a little boy or he was simple, somehow it made her gang dong. It touched her deeply in the heart. And we don't quite know what it was, but the point was now she was at a, a place where maybe she was ready to think more about Christian things. And I share this story with you because... I think as we move into this section in, in Acts, this is the kind of thing that Luke is trying to raise for us here. And that is that we, in the middle of our relationships with our family, our friends, our neighbours, workmates, bosses, loved ones, Luke wants to raise for us, how can we share the message of Jesus in ways that actually connect with people, that really come into their heart. Now it's very difficult, isn't it? So we have our friends with their questions about God. We have our friends with their searching or their troubles, their worries. And then we have, we have the Lord Jesus and his words and his work, his life-giving water. And we know that our friends need this. But often there's this big gap. How, how can you... How can we communicate the message in a way that spans that gap? Often you sense the gap. You know they need it. Now, it's easy just to communicate words about Jesus, but this passage raises for us, how do we communicate in ways, how do we share the message in ways that actually bridges that gap or at least lessens that gap so that people really hear about Jesus in ways that hits in here, that connects? Well, that's where Luke is going to take us. It's a very special part of the Bible, one Leanne and I have thought a lot about since we've been in China. Um, it's a very special part of the Bible, and uh, that's what we'll be thinking about. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, you'll know, you might know that famous verse, chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said to his apostles, you will be my disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that's kind of the frame, just introducing you to the book. Now, that's just kind of the shape of the book of Acts. You watch the Word of God progressing, the message of Jesus progressing more and more. It starts in Jerusalem and then it spills over, the Word of God spills over to, um, to Samaria, Judea. And then it keeps spilling over to the ends of the earth. That's a simple way of describing what the book of Acts is about. Or maybe this way, it started with the Jews and then the message of Jesus progressed beyond the Jews and went to the Gentiles. And I think, you know, if you keep reading, it's like a beating drum, I think. Every speech, every sermon, every defense. The book, the book of Acts is just a, basically a collection of speeches, sermons, defenses, all about the message of Jesus and all about it progressing all the way up to today's chapter, where again, the message of Jesus is, is in the spotlight. And for the first time, we'll see the message leave Asia, leave the Middle East, and it will move into Europe. You'll, you'll see a map in a moment. This is the first time the message leaves 
And the question is raised for us, how do we take the message to different kinds of people, to Europeans? How do we take the message to people who are different to us? I was, I was down the shops yesterday and I saw one of those kids with their pants halfway down their backside and the underwear up the top. How do you take the message of the Lord Jesus to a... Maybe that's one of your sons, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, how do you take the message across that kind of gap to people who feel a long, long way away? That's, that's where we're going today. If you have your Bibles, we're in verse 6 of uh, chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. And um, there's also an outline in the bulletins that you have which might, may or may not help you follow along as we go. The passage has two parts. The first part is Paul on a journey, verse 6 to 12. He's journeying through the Middle East. It's a little bit hard to see, but he starts over here in Antioch. That's where he was sent out on his missionary journey. And he's in the Middle East or Asia Minor and he's working his way up. And actually... Um, Julia did really well reading the difficult name places. But God leads Paul in quite mysterious ways. He moves from one place and then the Spirit of the Lord tells him, no, don't go there. He comes to a border. Don't cross the border. Come to here. And then eventually he lands right up the top. And so that's the journeying part of the passage. And then the second part of the passage from verse 12 onward is where he jumps on a boat and he heads over to Europe, to Macedonia or to Philippi, as it's called here, Europe, uh, Macedonia, Philippi, the same kind of place. And that's, that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. And as he arrives, he shares the message with three different people. Do you remember, as, as Julia was reading, there was Lydia, then there was the slave girl, and finally, uh, Paul shares the message with the jailer. Uh, it's interesting, as I've been preparing um, this, this message, I read a fellow called Timothy Keller. He's a very good thinker about the, the message of Jesus. And he asked this question, why, why does Luke just record these three people, these three accounts where the message comes to three different people? You know, in a few days later, he went to Lydia's house and the house was full of people. There was a new church. Why does Luke single out these three people? Well, he wants to show us something about how to bring the one message to different kinds of people. Let's, let's follow along. Let's meet them. Lydia is our first person. Good news for the religious. She's in verse 14. Now, Lydia is a businesswoman. She deals in cloth, it says. It's interesting to notice that the color is mentioned. So purple uh, was extremely rare at that time. So possibly she was involved with luxury goods or fashion items or something like that. Um, she owns a, a, her own home. So she's wealthy. There's no question Lydia is a wealthy woman. Um, so she resides, she's in the good part of town. Maybe, um, you know, she's got views um, of the ocean, hopefully. Um, maybe she could afford to, um, oh, we were, what's that plane, the, the seaplane? Maybe she could afford to get in the seaplane do a few trips around, come back down. Uh, she was the kind of kid that, um, um, that received a lot from her parents. Her parents were giving her handouts. That kind of woman is Lydia. And uh, notice also in verse 14, Lydia is a worshipper of God. Now, that is code word for a Greek person who's reading the Old Testament scriptures. So she's not a Jew. She, she hasn't had the scriptures in sort of her history and background. She's a Greek person, a non-Jew, but she's reading the scriptures. 
So she's, she's, it's interesting, and she keeps coming to this place of prayer. So you notice that in verse 14, there's a place of prayer Lydia keeps coming to. So she's seeking God. That's why she's on her knees, I assume, on her knees before God, reading the scriptures. Greek woman seeking the Lord. Uh, and the important thing to notice here, and I want, this is the, the critical point that we'll notice in all of the people. How does she receive the message? How does the message come to her? Well, Luke emphasizes that she's listening. Let me read verse 14. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So um, this is Lydia. She's seeking. And the word I want you to notice, I'm sorry to be picky on words because I, I don't like this kind of thing so much, but the word respond is very important there. If you kind of look at its meaning, it's that idea of receiving information and then it comes in and you respond. You use your logic or your reason and you have a reasoned response, a reasoned outcome. So she's a thinker. She's reading the Bible. She's heard the message from Paul and she's responding. Now we can assume that when Paul approached her, like how did he, how did he speak to her? How did he bring the message to her? We can assume he got the Old Testament. She'd been reading it and showed her and said, at the end of the Old Testament is a man and his name is Jesus. Now we know he must have done that because at the end, Lydia puts up her hands and says, right, I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus. I'm going to be baptised I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus. And I, I don't know how Paul did that. He must have unpacked the Old Testament in a way where her searching had ended. She believes in him, baptised, throws open the doors of her home and there's a, there's a church there within a few days, we assume. Quite a powerful picture of a religious person. I would say she's a religious person coming to this place, seeking after God transformed by the message of Jesus as Paul brings it to her. Now you might be thinking, oh, James, you're making a lot of two little verses here, uh, maybe reading between the lines a little bit too much. Well, hold that thought and we'll move on to our next person, the slave girl. Let's read about her in verse 16. Once we were going to the place of prayer, so Paul kept going back to that same place that he'd met Lydia. Must have been going there to evangelise people. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. So if Lydia's over here, the slave woman is a long, long way from Lydia. Uh, this, this slave girl, she's the complete opposite. She's not rich. She, she's poor. She can't make money for herself. She's making money for her slave owners. She's a very different woman. And there's no sense here that she's religious. Um, you know, like Lydia, in a sense, is going to a place praying to God. This woman kind of is at the opposite. She has the enemy of the Lord in her. 
See, she's right at the other end of the extreme. And in a sense, she's not seeking like Lydia as much as maybe she's in opposition. So you wouldn't say she's completely in opposition, but if you listen to her message, but she's hounding Paul. She's on his back. Uh, she's, being, she's troubled. She's being a troublesome person. Um, she's a, it's a difficult state she's in. I think she has some kind of spiritual turmoil. So where she lives, there's no water glimpses, even from the bathroom window. Um, she doesn't have money to go out on a Friday night. She, she's very different to Lydia. How does, the Paul message, how does the message come to her? How does Paul bring the message to this woman this time? It's very different. The message comes as a power-filled encounter. So Paul, he speaks to the Spirit in the name of Jesus, and the Spirit is gone, instantly leaves her. She's changed. Now again, we're, we're only given the, the high-level details um, about the situation, but you don't assume Paul was there. You know, he came down to her and he said, now listen, I want to show you something in the Old Testament here. This is in Isaiah, and it's talking about Jesus and that Jesus will come and be the... He's not taking the message to her in that kind of way. She's a very different woman. He brings to the message to her in a power-filled encounter and transformation results. What I think is most interesting here is, is how the account ends. After he does this, Paul and Silas in verse 19 and 20 are standing in front of a huge crowd and they are defending this woman's freedom from her human masters. Now, uh, there's all sorts of, it says that, that these men are throwing our city into uproar. The problem is they're causing problems with the local slave business. That's the problem. Now, notice what Paul does. He goes and takes the message of Jesus and he acts spiritually. He releases her from her spiritual master, but he also must be acting socially. Because he releases her from her social masters. That's why he's in this predicament. That's why he lands in jail. It's a very interesting point. Taking the message of Jesus we see here to some kinds of people will mean acting socially. It will mean working in a social context. It doesn't mean you leave the gospel at the door. Social action motivated by gospel truth. You know, there are many bad examples of how Christians have done it in the past. I potentially could be one of those people. I go to China and I'm working in the environment area and working with pastors. Now, it could be very easy for me to leave the spiritual side alone and just work socially, social action, and leave truth at the door. But Paul's example here is he takes the same message to a different woman. He acts socially and spiritually. But the emphasis is on acting socially. You know, I don't suppose uh, in, in Africa in the last 15, 20 years, the, the gospel has spread tremendously. Whole nations have turned to the Lord. And I don't suppose that those who have taken that message have had an easy time. There are many Muslim states in, China, in, in Africa, many Muslim countries, and they've converted. Some of them have converted. I assume brothers and sisters who went into these places had to act socially, 
push against social norms, social structures, challenge them as they took the message of the Lord Jesus. You know, um, some of you who, who go tomorrow night to hear Leanne share, well, she'll share about a woman uh, that we know very well. She uh, was an orphan, orphaned at the age of eight. And um, it's terrible circumstances, but she was in an orphanage for many years. And through the, the loving actions of a, a woman who came and visited regularly, week after week, through her example, through her social action, not necessarily through deep words, our friend Lena became a believer because she saw powerful demonstrations of grace. You know, it may be years. You, we may have to sometimes act years socially before we even get a chance to take the gospel to people. It's very interesting. Paul, as he takes this message, he shows us this method and it's something that should challenge us. Okay, the gospel, the slave woman, the slave girl, the gospel uh, for the oppressed pressed. We come now to our last interaction between Paul and the message of Jesus and, and the jailer in this case. He's completely different again. Firstly, he's a man, so even men can be saved, which is always encouraging. Uh, he's almost certainly a Roman citizen. So civil service jobs like this were reserved for, we, you can read, were reserved for men who'd served, like um, men who'd maybe worked in the army, and it's very likely that this uh, Roman soldier, uh, this man was a Roman soldier. Now, it's quite a reasonable job. He's not successful like, like Lydia. He's not sort of at the top, and he's not, you might say, um, messy, a little bit messy like the slave girl. He's in the middle somewhere. He's just a normal bloke, got a reasonable job. Um, he probably drove a ute or something like that, and, but he works in a prison. I mean, that, that's not that normal. He's your average kind of fellow. No indication that he's searching. So we sort of you read through, you don't sense he's searching for God or you don't sense that he's against God, just a normal fellow. And uh, if you know anything about people who served, my, my dad served in the army. If you know anything about people who served, um, you're a pretty practical person. You learn to be a practical person. You receive an order, you do it. Something happens, uh, with a particular outcome or a particular set of circumstances, that means you do this. If your prisoners escape, um, maybe in six hours or so, you'll be run through with the sword by the Roman, local Roman guard. So, well, the prisoners have escaped, I'll just kill myself. Probably just quite a practical man. Deals with what's in front of him. So different again to Lydia and the slave woman. The problem is that what's in front of him is not normal. Paul and Silas are far from normal. Everything, you know, the, verse 25, the riots. Um, then they get chucked into the inner cell and then they're praying and singing. And then they hold a church service, you know, in the inside of the jail. And then there's this earthquake. And this jailer, he's, he's beside himself, this owner of the, this manager of the jail. He's on his knees before Paul and Silas, deeply affected and saying, tell me, what do I do to be saved. You can read on in verse 27 and 31 as I, as I talk a bit more, but it's hard to know what drove him to be so desperate before Paul and Silas, a pretty practical man, big responsibility. Now he is trembling before them. Um, some might say, oh, it's just because um, he, he senses that 
Paul and Silas in a way have saved him and so he's indebted to them. So he's coming, he's not saying, he's not talking about salvation, he's just talking about what, what do I do? You've saved my life, what do I do to get out of your debt? Tell me, what do I do? I'm now under your control. I don't sense though that that's what's going on, I think he's talking about real salvation and I think that he's been impacted by Paul and Silas's actions. Just think about it. They, they'd, uh, they'd been stripped publicly. They'd been severely beaten. They'd been flogged, thrown in the high security ring of the jail, wing of the jail. And what are they doing? They're rejoicing. Nothing can steal away their joy. They could have escaped, couldn't they? They could have escaped. They didn't deserve to be there. But that would have meant the jailer's life. So they don't repay evil for evil. They repay evil with good, just like the Lord Jesus. They, don't, they, they, they give up their rights. They shouldn't have been in prison, as I said earlier. But they remained there. They gave up their rights for this jailer, for the sake of the jailer. And I think their actions, what they did do, what they didn't do, what they sang about, what they talked about, their rejoicing... I think they spoke a new language to this man. And he comes to them and he says, I don't know what's happened here today and I'm looking at you guys and I want whatever you have. Tell me what I must do to be saved. And, uh, and that's what happens. Paul goes home with him, share the word of the Lord to, them, uh, to him and he and his whole family are changed, transformed. So Lydia, the religious seeker, Paul brings the message to her in a way that answers her questions. He, he appeals to her mind, to her reasoning. He unpacks the truth, satisfies her searching. The slave girl, the message comes in this power-filled encounter. Bold actions on her behalf. And this speaks to her. We don't know whether she became a believer, but that is how Paul brought the message in a sense to her. And then for the jailer, his willingness to listen to the message comes through seeing lives that have been changed and transformed by the Lord Jesus and he wants to know more. Uh, there's lots of things to take away from this passage. I just want to highlight a few. The message of the Lord Jesus is for everyone. Now, I, I know it sounds standard and norm, normal, obvious, but uh, so Lydia was Middle Eastern um, the jailer was European, so very different people, very different cultures. And the slave girl, she could have come from anywhere. Slaves came from all over the empire. She could have been from any culture. The message of the Lord Jesus is for any kind of person. Educated, an educated person, the message is for them. The message of the Lord Jesus is for someone who cannot pick this up and read it, who cannot read a word. This message is tailor-made for that kind of person. The ultra-rich, the politician, the person who feels a long, long way away from God, the message is for them. You know, uh, I read recently, if you've tracked the, the, the movement of the gospel from the Middle East up into Europe, and then from Europe, it did go down into Africa and then went east, even way over into India and China, then it moved north into northern Europe. Then it moved from there to the Americas. 
more recently down to the bottom of Africa, across to Australia uh, and many other parts around the Pacific. Christianity has spread to all different kinds of people. Now, where is the centre of Christianity? Where is it most at home? What's its home culture? See, the amazing thing when I go to China is not that Chinese brothers and sisters have received the Australian gospel. It's that the, 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 Christian, the Christians in China, it's, they've taken a Chinese Christianity. This message looks... It's the same message, Jesus, but it looks very different in China. It's a message tailor-made for the Chinese. It is a message tailor-made for that person who you think could never understand. You know, um, it's a message, as I said a moment ago, for people who've never read It's a message tailor-made for people who've never had the scriptures in their own hands and who still don't. This message is for them. And it's for the person who you feel is a long, long way from God. Or maybe the person who's done you harm. It's for them. And uh, I guess the second thing is that because the message is for everyone, we need to work hard to take that message to every different kind of person. You know, God has placed us in relationships and in different people's lives so that we can learn and understand and know them and take that message that's just for them and take it to them. It, it, I said this earlier, it's easy to give information about Jesus. It's easy to give a tract to someone. Actually, it's very hard, isn't it? It's embarrassing and it's hard. It's very difficult to think about a person, think about the people in our lives. How do they think? Are they more like a slave woman? And they need to, to see social action year after year after year. Are they someone who needs, they've got these deep questions and you, you can't answer their questions. You need to bring them to an evangelistic event or give them a good book. God has placed us in our relationships so that we will know the people, understand them and think carefully about how to take this one message to those different people in your lives. You know, that, that, is, that is a challenge from this passage. That's what Paul does. One message, different people. Um, I read recently, uh, you think back to that story, uh, Lazarus in John's Gospel, and um, Lazarus has died, and Jesus eventually comes a few days later, and Mary runs out to Jesus and said, says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. And how does Jesus bring the, the comforting message to her? He sits down with her and he weeps. Then uh, just a few moments later or minutes later, we don't know, Martha comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. Exactly the same question. And Jesus this time takes a truth and he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even though you die, you will live. Two similar situations and Jesus takes the message differently. We have been given this tremendous responsibility to think and study and love and learn the people in our lives. You know, in China, I've, we've been there four and a half years and we have done a lot more receiving than giving. 
it, it, we need to learn and listen. I was spent um, the last four weeks ago, I was at my father's farm. My father has properties and we had shearing. And across the wool table, I was involved with sorting the wool, was this woman from Hargraves, from the, the local town. And uh, culturally, she felt like she was a million miles away. And I, I spent the week trying to understand her and uh, just think, trying to think from her perspective and maybe how could I just share one little thing about the Lord Jesus? And I got to the end of the week and you know, could barely share a thing. But this is the thing. The Lord's put us in our relationships to think carefully about who we, whether, we're, they're, whether they're schoolmates, whether they're family, whether they're neighbours, to think carefully, to pray, and, and, and slowly take that message to them in ways they can understand. The last thing... Um, uh, in, in this that I want to take away is that the power of the gospel can unify and change the most unlikely people. You know, uh, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And uh, for many, many years, maybe two decades. Uh, and he was a very religious man and would have prayed a, set, a thick set of prayers every morning, probably before the sun came up. You can read these prayers. You know what was on the top of the list? Have a listen. Lord, blessed are you, O God, who has not made me not a woman, uh, who has not made me a woman, a slave, a Gentile. Now, I would say it's no mistake when Luke records Paul, the Pharisee, who used to be the Pharisee, just three chap- six chapters earlier, he takes the message into Philippi. He takes it to a woman, to a slave, and to a Gentile. The message of Paul came and must have transformed him. In verse 40, Paul goes back to the church, and he goes into this church, and there's the woman, and maybe the slave's there. We don't know whether she turned to the Lord. There's the Gentile, Paul worshipping with them. You know, in Paul's life, he would have had this hardened heart against these kinds of people but the message of Jesus came and changed his heart and I think Luke is underlining this for us God puts people into our lives and as we go serious about taking it this message across these barriers these these gaps don't be surprised at maybe how the Lord does a deep work in your life to challenge and change you maybe as you do that. A great privilege, a great responsibility of taking the message so that people would be made gantong, impacted in their hearts. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this part of Luke, Luke's writings. Lord, we thank you for Paul's example of thinking carefully about taking the one message to different people in different ways. And Lord, we pray for us, each of us, in our different relationships here, uh, whether we travel away from this place, whether we're in other countries, Lord, how we can, in those relationships, learn and love and study these people so that we might bring the message to them. And Lord, help us be ready to be challenged, changed, maybe even transformed ourselves. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.